What's up, fam? How y'all doing? It's good to be with y'all. Uh, oh, my screen's so dirty. My daughter's been playing on this all day. What's up, fam? How y'all doing? Yeah, it's great. Uh, welcome to the Rock Church. Pastor Brian here. If you are new, that's not a joke. I'm really one of the pastors here. Uh, God's grace is sufficient. He's wonderful. Um, if you're old school and you have a Bible, they look like this. I would encourage you to open it up today. You can go to Romans chapter 3. That's where our text will be. You were also handed some bulletins, a little handout when you walked in. You can follow along with the sermon that way as well. I'll start with asking y'all a silly question. How many of y'all love doing laundry? Maybe one or two of y'all? Okay, security, could you escort these two out? Because that's ridiculous. Um, I don't think for the most part many people enjoy doing laundry, but how many of us kind of, we understand, we just, it kind of comes with the territory. It's kind of important. We've got to deal with it. Even though it's nobody's favorite, our kiddos, we've been trying to push laundry day to, we're trying to get it all done in one day, which makes for a pretty bummer day for my kiddos after four or five or six loads of laundry. And we only got two kids, right? I mean, they just... They have morning, afternoon, mid-snack outfits. You know, it's a nightmare. Um, but after about four or five loads of washing, cleaning, folding, putting away laundry, they're kind of defeated. So when you add one more load, when I walk upstairs with another load of laundry, it's just kind of like, okay, not the end of the world. But you feel a little defeated. Today, the last eight weeks, we've been studying through this letter to the Romans We've been unpacking a lot of really heavy verses. In a way, it's kind of been like laundry. They're not anybody. None of these verses are going to be on y'all's tombstones when you pass to go with the Lord. <laughs> but in a way, it's, these verses are really kind of like doing laundry. Not anybody's favorites, but we got to deal with it, right? So today in our text, Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 20, we got one more week of bad news. Since Romans chapter 1, verse 18, we have unpacked 70 verses on the unrighteousness of mankind. So why not 11 more? Why not one more load of dirty laundry? But trust me, next week, when we get to chapter 3, verse 21, you guys, well, you're going to be so excited. We're going to get to the smell of the good news of Jesus Christ and being clothed in his fresh linen scent righteousness. We're almost there. I hope you can smell it. <laughs> but when we see these first three chapters, we see that mankind, regardless of our different personalities, upbringings, preferences, walks of life. We are all united together in something. And that's what we've been learning for the last eight or so weeks is that we are all united in our unholy togetherness. Um, do you guys remember high school? It was awful, right? <laughs> Just awful. Um, I, I don't know if you remember cafeteria lunchtime. You'd get your lunch, you'd buy your lunch, you'd sit down in the hall or the cafeteria, lunchroom, whatever, and then you would sit down with your buddies and you'd look around and you'd observe all the different types of people, right? Over there was the jocks and the cheerleaders and then the skater boys, said see you later boys, were over there. <laughs> and like the goth kids were over there being weird and like the stoners were over there and then like the, like the theater kids were like up in the rafters. Like they just, everybody had their own cliques. Everybody had their own posses, right? Through this letter, Paul has been talking about two cliques. He's been talking about Jewish and Gentile. 
But that's really the whole world. What Paul is saying is like, there's these people who have God's law, Jewish people by birth. And then there's the rest of us, heathen, Gentile, pagan, y'all, okay? (laughs) Or what I'm trying to say is no matter who you sat with at lunch, whoever your clique, who your posse is, Principal Paul is giving us this reminder that we all need to get up and leave the lunchroom and head over to detention. For eight weeks, he's been telling us we all are in a mess and we're heading over to detention. So let's get into these encouraging verses. Why don't you um, open up your chapter, Romans 3, chapter 9 is where we're going to start. Paul is going to make this final argument to make the case that we all are heading to detention. No matter who we hang out with, we're all on a sinking ship. We all need a rescue, and we are going to get to that, but not yet. Your first big idea this weekend, if you want to follow along, is no one is free from the condemnation of sin. Verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. So there you go. Everybody's in the cafeteria. Everybody's heading to detention. And it's interesting, if you notice, if you look up last week, verse 2, Paul says that the Jewish people actually do have an advantage, right? There's like, in the fact that God has given them the law, they have a responsibility as God's people to be messengers of a promised Messiah that the world is longing for. So that is an advantage to them. But... Regarding our topic at hand, we're talking about what do I do with my sin? What about my unrighteousness? Paul is saying, are any of us better off? He says, no, not at all. Whatever side of the lunchroom you sit on, we are all under the cafeteria roof of sin and condemnation. Tim Keller calls this the egalitarianism of sin. I mean, everybody is equally under the bondage of sin. And when we look at this verse 9... Right at the beginning of our text, if you notice, it says, Paul says, what then are we Jews any better off? I think it's good for us to notice that Paul is lumping himself into the mix. That does my heart well, because this guy has been pointing his finger at every single one of us, and he's been showing us by God's word how unrighteous we are and how the wrath of God is going to be revealed from heaven against every single one of us. And he's been slamming this gavel down for 71 verses. But he also is throwing himself into the mix as well. I hope you see that. Are we Jews any better? I think you guys know uh, the Apostle Paul. If you remember what he was like before he met the risen Savior, Jesus, he was like the most annoying religious guy on the block. Like, if you were to look up awful, hypocritical, self-righteous jerk in the dictionary, there'd be a picture of, like, smug Paul, like Saul, just, like, with his finger at you. If you know in Philippians 3, I'll just read these verses. Paul tells us a little bit about himself, who he was before he met Jesus. He says, if anyone has confidence, I have more. That's Paul. A Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. That's Paul. That's who he was. He was this guy who was just convinced in every single way that he was better than everybody. So this guy, Paul, imagine this man before he met Jesus. If you were to ask this guy, what then? Are we Jews any better? He would go, absolutely. 
he would crack open Romans 1. He'd read all of this and go, amen, that is every single one of y'all, but not me. But then Paul, he meets Jesus and everything changes, his pride, his self-righteousness, the way that he sees others, his affections towards God and towards other people, his purpose, everything changed. And now Paul, when he writes to this audience, he's saying, are we any better? Speaking to the Jewish audience, he's saying, no, none of us are better. Paul learned that. He needed the supernatural help from the Lord to reveal that to him, just like every one of us. But I think it's worth asking. Many of y'all in this room are Christians today. Y'all got Bible. Y'all are sitting in church. So let me ask you, are you any better? If you think you are better than anybody in this room, anybody on this planet, anybody in the cafeteria, you have a really poor understanding about your own sin. So for fun, I'll just ask you a quick little three questions, and we'll just see how good you are, how much better you are. First, you can check the boxes right here on the screen if you like. Go ahead and fill this out. Have you stopped sinning? Number one, yes or no? Just be honest, right? All right, Paul, the man who writes this, he confesses later in chapter seven. He goes like, man, there's this thing I got that rages war in me. It's called sin. Why do I do it? The apostle John says in 1 John, he says that if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So... An honest answer would go, oh, man, have I stopped sinning? No, not really. I kind of sort of hate it, but I haven't stopped sinning. All right, how are you doing so far? All right, number two, have you obeyed God perfectly in everything? Just because you have been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, which amen and hallelujah, does not mean you are perfect or you are someone who is becoming perfect. The Ten Commandments shows us that we fail drastically. And Paul, even, or James, Jesus is half, yeah, James says, if you keep the whole law, if you do all the law stuff, you obey it perfectly. But if you just stumbled once, you're guilty of breaking the whole thing. So, have you obeyed God perfectly? That's another no, dog, right? What about this? Have you done anything to earn God's favor? Is there something that you've done? There's something that you do or there's something that you don't do that makes you better than other people. You are positionally more righteous than another person because of the things that you do or don't do. The Bible has a problem with that. It says, by grace, we have been saved through faith so that no one may boast. If you've done something to contribute to your right standing with God, then you'd have something to boast in. But the Bible says grace is not a thing that you can boast about. It is a gift from the Lord. So... Another, do, another no, how did you do? If you answered yes to all three of these questions, congratulations, you are impressive. You should apply to be the fourth person of the Trinity because you are phenomenal, <laughs> which you can't do. If you answered no to any of these questions, then welcome to the club. You are not better than anyone Else, The Apostle Paul knew that he didn't pass this test, but only once he met Jesus and he saw how serious his sin, his religion, his pride, his self-righteousness is. But God has to help every one of us see that. The Christian is not better than anyone, but we are forgiven. Not better, just forgiven. And when we see, again, our sin is an offense against a holy God, that, would, that should really make you stop staring and looking at other people and what they do and how you're better than them, right? Your focus should now be removed from them and be focused on you. 
And Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says, Christ comes into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost. So the man who was the most religious, uptight, just to the nines, now says, I am the worst of all sinners. You read all of Romans 1. You read all of Romans 2. I am worse than all of them. How could that be? Only by the grace of God can your heart change that way. That's the difference between the Christian and the unbeliever is that the Christian recognizes they've been forgiven. But it doesn't mean we are better than anyone. Again, or additionally, when you've been rescued by Jesus and he's changed you and he's uh, redeemed you, he's not going to leave you to your old self, which is, a mir- which is a miracle in itself, that God changes us. We now are owned by him. He possesses you and he will pick you up and he will walk with you and he will change you from the inside out daily as you follow him. That's his promise. And I'd argue that's what we see in the life of Paul. This man who wrote this letter and the 12 others we have in the New Testament, he was changed when he met Jesus. And he sees other people through a completely different lens. I mean, people he once despised, he's now writing and pleading with them to see that they are under the bondage of sin and they need to be rescued. A man who points his finger at everyone with God's law and shows us how bad we are and then also says, am I any better than you? No, we need the same Savior. So continuing on these verses, your next big idea, sin has contaminated us all, inside and out. So Paul's going to do something here pretty unique. He's going to unpack a whole bunch of Old Testament quotations, mostly Psalms. It's like seven or eight, and there's an Isaiah in there, and there's a Proverbs. But basically what he's doing, he's just, he's racking up this argument to show us from Scripture, God's Word, uh, about our unrighteousness, just how bad our sinful condition is. And he, he, he strings them together like pearls on a necklace, which would be a very customary thing that uh, rabbis and Jewish teachers would do to make their point. They would quote a lot of Bible and go like, see, you're a mess. Here's 10 verses. See you next week. But I think these verses, well, they're good reminders for us, every one of us who are under the righteousness of Jesus Christ, because um, they'll show us, these verses show us in many ways uh, how sin continues to contaminate and how it infects us and how it impacts our relationships with God and one another daily. So as we read these verses, I do want you to notice something. Um, you could circle these in your Bibles if you, you would enjoy that. But um, pay attention to the human anatomy here in these verses, okay? How sin corrupts every part of our bodies. I will point them out as we read them together. But starting in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, As it is written, remember he's quoting scripture, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. So there's our eyes, seeking, seeing. All have turned aside. There's our bodies right there. We've turned away from God. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. I know these verses are so encouraging, huh? Verse 13, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. So there's our throats. There's our tongues. There's our lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. There's our mouths. Their feet are swift to shed blood. There's our feet. And their paths are ruin and misery. Verse 17, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So there's our eyes again. So in these short verses... Sin has impacted, contaminated everything, our, our eyes and our body and our, our throat and our tongues and our lips and our mouth and our feet and then our eyes again. 
these bodies that have been made in the image of God to know God and enjoy him and worship him as well as to love and serve one another, because of sin, we use these bodies to exhaust all of our faculties, to curse God and to run from God and to spit out just yuckiness, not towards just him, but towards one another. See, God created us in his image in chapter two of Genesis, and it was good. God created things, and it was good. But then sin entered the world through one man and his wife, Romans 5 tells us, and death came into the world through sin. So our first parents, God bless them. Well, God cursed them, actually. Uh, they, they, they messed up really bad. And ever since then, it has not been good. Every single one of us have inherited this sin nature, or what many theologians will call the doctrine of total depravity, or if that's a little scary for you, radical corruption. But what that basically means is that sin has contaminated every single part of you. If I had a bottle bottle up here, which I didn't have any water earlier, so praise God for the people who rescued me. Um, if I had a clear, smart bottle, like smart water, right? Say I wanted to like support a cause, and I spent like $6 on a bottle of water. I have the purest, beautiful, most delicious, unadulterated glass of water. But the second I open it and say I drop one drop of poison into that smart water, and then I hand it to you, you ain't drinking it, right? Because it's contaminated everything. In that moment, what was pure has been corrupted. That's mankind's human condition. We have been contaminated with sin. And that does not mean that you are just 100% poison. It just means poison has infected 100% of you. I'll pack these verses briefly. Paul makes that argument again, citing a bunch of Old Testament verses. Go back to 10. Yeah, we'll go back to 10. Yeah, 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 yeah. So our relationship with God has been contaminated. As it is written, again, Paul is citing, this is Psalm 14 and Psalm 51, I believe. He says, our minds have been contaminated, like that we don't understand truth. We can't see God clearly. We've been blinded. We've been deceived because of our sin. And, and then in verse 12, it says that all have turned aside, right? Isaiah 53, like we've all like sheep, we've turned away from the Lord. Our, our posture is to get away from the Lord. That's our sin nature in us drives us away from God, not closer to him. And in verses 10, and look at these. Eight times, Paul mentions something, this none, this universal negative about mankind, our posture towards the Lord. Verse 10, none are righteous. Really, no one? Yes, not one. Verse 11, no one understands. Really, no one? Yes, no one seeks for God. Really, no one? Yes. Verse 12, all have turned aside. That's another universal negative. Every single one of us has turned away from the Lord. Really? Not everybody, surely. What about Mother Truth? Yeah, everybody in their sinful condition has turned away from the Lord. No one does good. Really? Yes, not even one. In verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. <laughs> These are some pretty offensive statements for Paul to make which is smart. He's like, it's not what I said. It's what God said, right? He's just throwing Bible at them, so that's great. But man, not very encouraging. And I won't dig too much into verse 12 where he says no one does good because I think we've tackled that in our previous uh, sermons pretty well. I mean, we have to remember contextually, we're not talking about a goodness that like goes like holding the door open for somebody on their way to a restaurant, 
right? That's, that's great. That's wonderful. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about our positional right standing with the holy God. Can any of our goodness, is there any stuff that we can do to make ourselves in a better right standing with God? And the answer is no, because no one is seeking God. Apart from Christ changing us, no one knows God. No one understands. We've all turned aside. No fear of God. No one is seeking to do good for God. And when Paul says no one seeks God and no fear of God, this is, again, this is our sin nature. Left to ourselves, we would never desire God. You would never want to run to him, to know him. You'd never seek to hear from him. You would never long to love him. You'd never aspire to serve him. And you would never have a desire to worship him, ever. When we are in the bondage of sin, when we are contaminated, when we are condemned, we are held like slaves to our sin. Sin is what we desire, not God. So we actually don't want God. We want our sin. We want our sin and we want to get away from God. Or let me say it like this. Fallen sinners seeking and looking or wanting anything to do with God is like a mouse seeking and wanting anything to do with a cat. Now, I will say that this doesn't mean mankind doesn't seek things from God. Oh, how we want blessings and favor from God all of the time. I will give you an example. When I was a little kid, seven years old, back in the day, 1992, that was a good year. I desperately wanted a Super Nintendo. Hallelujah. I prayed for it, you guys. I said, God, Please, please, please make my mom and my dad wake up and smell the coffee. I want a Super Nintendo. That's what I want. You see, I wanted God to do something for me, but I didn't want him. You know what I did not pray? I did not say, Lord, I just want to know you. I want to hear your voice. I want you to guide me and teach me. And Lord, I know my flesh and my heart fails, but God, you are the strength of my heart and you are my portion forever and you are good in everything you do. And Lord, if it is your will, then a Super Nintendo would be rad. Did I want any of that? No, I wanted Super Mario Brothers 3. I did not want God. Now, in endless amounts of ways, right, for sure, the unrighteous and the fallen man in our sinful condition, we want all of the blessings from God. God, get me out of this traffic violation. Oh, Lord, please, please, please don't let them know I'm late. Oh, God, please, if I pass this test, I swear I'll never skip school again. We want all the air in our lungs, and we want the full bellies, and we want the roof over our heads, and we want the awesome career, and we want wonderful kids. But left to our sin nature, we don't want the one who gives those things. We want dad's stuff, but we don't want dad. It's really the story of the prodigal son, isn't it? That it'd be better if you died because I want my inheritance now. The world seeks all of the benefits that God gives, but left to ourselves, we would never seek God. Never. The Bible says we're incapable. We're in bondage to our sin. So what about this? What about the person who does seek for God? What about the person who says, I am searching for the Lord? 
What about the song that we sing, I have decided to follow Jesus? This room is full of men and women who got themselves in a bad place, and they began their search of looking for God, huh? People whose life spiraled out of control, who were bogged down by their sin and their baggage and their addictions, people who were beat down by the works and religion, and people who came to a point that they found themselves running or maybe crawling to the feet of Jesus for relief, to be saved. What about the person who really sincerely gets to a point in their life where they maybe are, yeah, for the first time seeking, looking for God? desperate for God to show up and help them. This may sound like many of y'all's stories. And I will say this, I think that's true. I believe that, I believe you. But I think, thinking biblically, we have to take that thought just one step further. We have to allow God to be God because behind the scenes of every one of y'all's coming to Jesus moments, is a God who has always been at work. Great John Stott said it this way. The Christian message is not primarily about our quest for God. It's about God's quest for us. God is the initiator and the pursuer of a relationship with humanity. This is true. And I, I believe this is the case. Like, how many, how many, what, what about this? How many of y'all would say, I was not looking for Jesus, but Jesus found me? <laughs> I was running for, I wanted nothing to do from the Lord. I saw him coming down the hallway in the cafeteria and I was running to get away from him. And he caught up to me at the flagpole and he shook me for my lunch money. And here I am today. <laughs> we would never be seeking for God if God did not first choose to seek you. God is not lost. We are. God does not need to be found. We do. God is not spiritually dead. We are. God is not in bondage to sin. We are. God does not need to be born again. We do. God is not blind. We are. I could do this all day. Okay, I can keep going. Jesus Christ seeks and saves the lost. He is the good God who comes to rescue his enemies. We sing amazing grace. Y'all know the lyrics. I once was lost and now I'm found. You know what we don't sing? Jesus was lost and I found him. I believe Jeremiah 29. It says, when you seek the Lord with all of your heart, he will be found. Yes, I believe that. But I believe that because behind the scenes, God the Father is at work. Jesus, the Lord himself, teaches us this in John 6. He says, no one can come to me. No one. There's that negative again. Ugh. Why does he have to be so absolute? Because he is. <laughs> no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. So when the psalmist says, no one seeks God. When Paul quotes the Old Testament, when Paul is sweeping, all scriptures God breathe. When Paul says no one seeks God, when Jesus says no one is looking, seeking God, you know what that means? No one is seeking God. No one is looking unless what? Jesus says, unless the Father does something, unless the Father draws him. Oh, so someone's working, huh? Who's that? Dad, always working. 
So you're coming to Jesus' moment, your search for God. That is the work of God the Father drawing you to his son. He was pursuing you. He was seeking you. He gave you new heart. He gives you the gift of faith. He gives you his son. So these verses are telling us just without a doubt, man, no one naturally will come to God. The unbelieving world is in bondage to sin. We would never pursue God unless he did something to change our hearts and change our attitudes and our motives and our desires, our affections for him. And praise be to God that scripture teaches us about an amazing God who does just that. Jesus comes into the world to seek and save the lost. Men and women who are under the bondage of sin in this moment, God is working and saving at this moment. That's amazing. That may be you today. Are you listening? Is God waking you up from a spiritual slumber today? Pay attention to that. God may be working. So being under sin doesn't just contaminate our relationship with God, right? I spent too much time on that. My bad. Um, but also contaminates our relationship with others. Again, like we read earlier, our tongues, our words, sin affects all of it. In verse 13, throats are open graves. That's Psalm 5. Where am I at? Did I skip it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Their tongues are deceivers, the venom of ass under their lips, their mouth full of curses and bitterness. I think that's Psalm 10. So again, sin affects, infects, even our words. The mouths that God has given us to bless him and praise him, we use to spit and curse and condemn and critique and judge and gossip others. Why are we so good at that? <laughs> it's because of our sin. Additionally, it contaminates our actions towards one another. You look in verse 15, right? Their feet are swift to shed blood. That's Proverbs 1. That's Isaiah 59. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. So you see, living under the bondage of sin, sin's impact and how it contaminates every area of our lives spreads towards mankind. You look at the history of the world. <laughs> we are not doing a very good job at being peaceful, the way of peace our world has not known. Why don't you Google the last time in the world's history there wasn't a year of bloodshed and famine and misery and death and torture. It's just, a, again, not saying that we are as bad as we could be, but sin contaminates every element of us. And that's Paul's argument here. Whether you are a Jewish person or you're a Gentile person or, or you go to church or you, you go to the bar, regardless of who you sit with in the lunchroom, we are all under the same bondage to sin. And then Paul slams, slams his gavel down one more time, revealing the desperate state of humanity. Our last big idea this evening is the whole world is in desperate need of the Savior. Verse 19, now we know. Paul's like, all right, here's 81 verses. Now you know. That whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth will be stopped, silenced, zipped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. So everyone's under the law. Whether you have the Word of God, you have the Torah, or you have God's Word written on your hearts, or creation screams that there's a creator, whether you're Johnny B. Good who's trying to obey the law, or you're Johnny be bad, who wants, doesn't give a rip about God. Every one of us, sin has grabbed us, infected us, condemned us, 
and held us in bondage, and we need to be rescued. That has been Paul's argument for 81 verses. That's why God in the person of Jesus Christ came into the world. Verse 20, for by works of the law, we'll get into this a little bit, justified in God's sight next week. Great verses, you're so lucky. For by works of the law, no human being, no human being, another one of those universal negatives, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. That's it. That's the purpose of the law. It reveals to us our sin. It shows us we are pretty messy, really messy. I'm sure you've heard this before. Like the law is like a mirror. It just shows us what a mess we are. My kiddos, sometimes we let them have ice cream. No, I'm not joking. We let them have ice cream all the time, right? Like all the time. Yeah, can I have ice cream? Yeah, brush your teeth and have ice cream, then brush your teeth again. Sometimes my kids will eat ice cream and like two or three bites in way before they're done. They've got ice cream all over their face, right? Like it's on their nose, it's on their cheek, it's on their eyebrow somehow, earlobes, shoulders, back of their ankles. And it's like, dude, how? 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 Show me how. I'm watching you. How do you do that? And I'll tell them, I'm like, hey, baby, I love you, but you got some chocolate syrup all over your face. And they're like, no, I don't. I'm like, no, I promise you, you do. And they'll like grab a napkin, they'll like wipe their shoulder and go, like, no, I don't. I'm like, no, baby, homely show. So I grab my phone and I'll flip it, you know, to the camera and I'll flip it in selfie mode and I'll show them. I'll go like, hey, buddy, look at you. And then they go, oh, <laughs> I'm a mess. Yeah. That's the purpose of God's law. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. It just shows us we're filthy. It does not save. You cannot obey the law. It's like obeying a mirror. That's not its purpose. So Paul's closing argument is this. Every one of us, before the throne of God, ice cream all over our faces going, nuh-uh. Every one of us will have no words to say in our defense. Our actions, our thoughts, and our words have revealed enough. Every mouth will be stopped, silenced, shut. And there's the little religious jerk that's in every single one of you who compares yourself and judges others will have nothing to say. And that little lawyer jerk inside of every one of you that like tries to make a blame shift and be like, well, was it my fault? It was his. That dude's gonna have nothing to say. Your conscience will have nothing to say because you will be guilty. Every mouth will be stopped. Now, the only thing more depressing and hopeless than realizing that this is how bad our condition is, that sin has contaminated every aspect of our life and we are under bondage of sin. Nothing worse than that than knowing that there's nothing we can do about it. Listen, God did something about it. Do you realize how amazing that is that God knows all of your condition? He knows about all of your baggage. He knows about all of your failures, all of your sin, all of your rebellion, all of your hatred, all of your disobedience. He knows all of it. Romans 1 through 3 is revealing to us God knows all of it. He knows you to the core. And he still says, but I love you and I have done something to make this right. No one will be justified. No human will be justified 
in God's sight by anything you do. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, there's that justification we need so badly. Not me, it's him and it's his blood. That is costly. How much more will we be saved from him from the wrath of God? The wrath of God, Romans 1, revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness. God will punish all sin, is put on Christ. That's amazing. That is such good news that you and I are under sin and Jesus rescues its captives. We deserve judgment, but Jesus comes and was judged on the cross for your sins. We deserve the wrath of God, but Jesus Christ, the wrath of God was poured out on him instead. My friend, if you were here right now and you don't know this, you don't know Jesus in this way, he is shouting at you in this moment, waking you up. This is the best news you will ever hear. You take it. You run towards Jesus. But listen, if you reject this good news, then you reject Jesus. You will remain under sin and you will remain its slave. You will not be free. The judgment that Christ took upon himself will not be accredited to you. So the judgment of God will remain on you. That's your just debt. The wrath of God that was poured out on Jesus Christ will not be applied to you. The wrath of God will remain on you, remain on you. The separation that Jesus has come to reconcile will not include you. But that separation with God extends not just from this life, but in the next, and that is hell. But that does not have to be any one of y'all's stories. Not any longer. Right now, you can give your life you can give your baggage, you can give your sin to Jesus and everything changes in an instant. Justified. God justifies the ungodly by the blood of Jesus is sufficient to cover our sins. That's the good news of Christianity. That's the good news of Jesus Christ that God saves sinners unconditionally. I'll say this lastly and I'll get you out of here, huh? Because y'all want to go get ice cream now. The gospel is bad news for good people, and it is good news for bad people. I'm going to read this. This is Psalm 14. This is the Lord speaking. It says, the Lord, Psalm 14, verse 2, the Lord looks down from heaven to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have all become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not even one. This is bad news if you consider yourself a good person, okay? Because God of heaven and earth disagrees with you. The gospel is not about a good God seeking good people who are just trying to do their best. The gospel is about a good God seeking and saving bad people who need to be rescued by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the salvation is free, freely given to all who turn to Jesus. That's it. Just turn 
Repent, change your heart, change your mind towards Jesus and run to him empty-handed. He is the one who saves and he gives his righteousness freely under one condition. You've got to recognize how serious your sin is, how serious your unrighteousness offends a holy God. And you have to take, drop everything that's in your hands and cling to Jesus instead. What's in your hands? What do you have in your hands today? Is it your religion? that condemns you? Is it your pride? Is it your anger that condemns you? Is it your self-righteousness? Only in empty hands will Jesus place his righteousness. Let it go. Cling to Jesus instead. This concludes season one through our study of Romans, which we have titled appropriately God's Sentence. Next week, we get to crack open the lid on season two, which we've appropriately titled, titled God's Salvation. And I am honored to tell you, uh, yeah, you guys are so excited. All that wrath. Oh, more grace. I'm excited to tell you next week you're in for a treat. Um, one of my closest friends, one of my favorite Bible teachers and friends that I've studied the Bible with for years, your deacon, Paul Stoddard, he will be bringing an incredible sermon from some of the most amazing texts in all of Scripture. You are going to be blessed. I'm so excited for you all to hear that next week. Anyways, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for the truth uh, that is revealed, that you've revealed to us in your word today. Father, we, we confess, Lord, we acknowledge that our sin is serious, um, uh, condemns us, um, it contaminates us, and we desperately need you because there's nothing we could ever do to justify ourselves in front of your throne, Lord. And that's why we're so grateful for the good news of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, you came and you rescued us from the contamination and the condemnation of our sin. Father, I ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, um, you would help us to see that sin has a hold on us, even today. God, would you help us to see that? Would you give us the power? Would you give us the will? Would you give us the strength to make war with our sin? And Lord, would you help us to never forget the incredible grace and mercy that you've extended to us daily when we fail? Lord, I pray for those in this room today who do not know you in this way. They don't know your saving grace. They haven't tasted and seen that you are good. I pray, God, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would do that work in their lives, that you would draw them, you would awaken them, you would remove the heart of flesh or a heart of stone, and you would replace it with a heart of flesh, and they would see your sinless Son as their Savior for the first time. I ask you to do that today. Thank you, Lord, that your faithfulness, you were present with us always. I pray, God, that we would daily strive to continue to grow in our understanding of your word and that we would continue to live as lights in this dark world, pointing others to the only hope and rescue that can be found in this world. And that is you, Jesus Christ. It's in your name we pray.